Coronavirus NZ, a daily stuff podcast. So Adam, exciting news. What's that? I've had a breakthrough in our We Is The Flower investigation. Seriously? Yeah, like a, a proper one. Like, I know the answer. I can't wait. Till then, welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Thursday the 30th of April. I'm Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham. Each day we bring you the headlines, take a look at some of the more unusual things about this crisis, and then focus on a particular topic. Hey, after our numbers bonanza in our news headlines yesterday, we got some feedback. It's from someone who said basically, look, I'm not disagreeing for the need for the lockdown or level four and all that, but there is another number that's growing, and that's the number of businesses collapsing and people losing their job. Should we be keeping a daily tally of that, this person asked? Well, if someone was able to generate those figures accurately on a daily basis, that's a brilliant idea. I mean, it's something we've talked about off here, isn't it? That it's hard to get a handle on the economic pain that people are feeling. But as we move further away from the public health precipice we were teetering on, it's natural that attention is going to turn more towards the, the other tolls the virus has taken. Yeah, uh, it's it's not like anyone is ignoring that. Stuff business journalist Susan Edmonds, who we've had on the show a couple of times, she's among journalists doing a great job keeping track of things and keeping an eye on this. She reported yesterday that there are more people on the job seeker benefit than at the height of the global financial crisis, and it's likely to get worse. So here's some numbers. During the GFC, 34.6 people per thousand were on the job seeker benefit. Now it's 35.2 per thousand. Wow. This is a bit of an awkward segue now I think about it. Ah, a speciality. Well, yours specifically. But anyway, later we talk to Richard Meadows. He's a former stuff business journalist who's hunkering down in Mexico City right now. He's written a really interesting piece called How to Profit from Coronavirus. We talk to him about that and also about how he intends to come out of lockdown buff and fit as a jailbird. But first, what's happened today? Two more numbers today. One low, one high. So there are three cases today. Yay. Well, not a few one of those cases, obviously, but yay that there's so few. The second number is 1035, 1035. That's the number of official complaints made about breaches of Alert Level 3 restrictions. Remember the cruise ship Ruby Princess, which docked in New Zealand and has been linked to more than 20 coronavirus deaths and 600 infections across Australia and New Zealand? So stuff journalist Marty Sharp has been doing some digging, and he's got paperwork that shows that when the ship docked in New Zealand, staff on board were aware that there was a passenger with, quote, influenza-like illness, unquote. But the passenger was not isolated. Around the world, there have been reports of a COVID-19 linked to Kawasaki disease in children. That's where blood vessels throughout the body get inflamed and you can end up with lasting heart injury. But doctors here say that while it's a genuine issue, there's no need for parents in New Zealand to worry about it right now. Here, very few children have had COVID-19 and none have been sick enough to need hospital admission. So Adam, this WTF investigation, where's the flower? Yeah, you said you had a breakthrough. Um, so was that because of the advice Tony Wall gave us yesterday? Mm, not quite. Hidden camera sting? Door knocks? Mm, no. Did did you ring the countdown helpline? Well, actually I did email them straight after we got off the phone from Wallow, but as of right now I haven't heard back yet. But no, the breakthrough came from doing a search of the internet. So it turns out our investigation has already been done, and very effectively too. In fact... It was a month ago, and it was done by staff reporter Kirsty Lawrence. Ah, oh, that's where she gave her a ring. 
I have, and she's on the line now. Eugene, you are very skilled in the arts of telecommunications, aren't you? I am in awe. Uh, now you're just taking the mickey at him. Anyway, whatever. Welcome, Kirsty. Hello. Hi. Hey, so why did you become interested in this fascinating story? Well, I think it was probably a bit of a personal interest because I wanted to try and bake a bit of brownie since I'm stuck at home so much longer. Um, but when I went to try and find some flour, couldn't hunt any down. So I thought there must have been a reason behind it. And so I got stuck into finding out why. Uh, and what did you discover? I mean, dark forces at play, drug cartels taking over the market, gangs of bakers stockpiling to control the scone trade. Is it that? I, I mean, I wish it was something that sinister. It just Basically, it seemed that everyone had the exact same idea that I did. And so the demand for flour just went through the roof. Um, apparently, it's the biggest shift in demand the flour industry's seen in the past 10 years. But surely they could have restocked the shelves by now. I mean, that was, you know, four or five weeks ago. What? And some shelves are still empty. What's the problem? Has the country run out of flour? No, we haven't actually run out of physical flour. So I've learned a lot about the flour industry during this story. And I actually was kind of amazed to find out that New Zealand produces 225,000 tonne of flour each year. That's a lot um, of scones. It's a lot of brownie and scones. But I guess most of it is distributed in bulk form in big tanker trucks and it's sent to the factories to make bread. Um, and then the, kind of the next tier down is the stuff that's thrown into the big 20kg bags and goes to cafes and bakeries and all that. So the retail sector, which is the stuff that you and I buy, kind of makes up a really teeny tiny amount of that flour. Ah, so there's lots of flour. Why is my countdown still pretty much got no flour? Well, because it's not the flour's fault. It's actually yet to do with the packaging. So because retail flour is such a small amount of the flour that's sold, the packaging is obviously produced at a much smaller rate. So when everyone went berserk and bought all of the flour, they couldn't repackage it again because all the packaging was used. So one mill that I spoke to down south, they sold four years' worth of their 5kg flour packaging in a couple of weeks. Wow. <laughs> wow. How how long till the small paper bags are going to be available then? Well, they so apparently it takes around six to nine weeks for more packaging to be available. So I think we're probably hitting around the five, six-week mark now. So you might see some coming back. But that's why some supermarkets started chucking the sort of big 20kg bags out on the floor to try and tide people over and why you'll see some dairies kind of going rogue and selling those drug dealer-looking smaller <laughs> package bags because I've just taken the big ones and cut them down. The, the point bags of flour. <laughs> hey, okay, well, that, that, that explains a lot. Thanks, Kirsty. You're obviously more of a crack investigative reporter than we are, and, and you clearly <laughs> nailed the story weeks ago before we'd even got onto it. So, so thanks so much for explaining it all to us. Well, hopefully you can go find some flour now. Very soon, hopefully, once that packaging <laughs> comes in. Cheers, Kirsty. Eugene, I'm just looking at the inbox for the viruspod at stuff.co.nz and there's an email from Sarah Jane O'Connor, you know, she's from the yeah. Science Media Centre, um, and the subject line is WTF. <gasps> so what, is there a science angle to this whole investigation? It, can we blow it up again? Not exactly, but this is fascinating. So she says... Level three in my decidedly middle-class neighbourhood supermarket means flour on shelves and no customer limits. During level four, there were only a few times I didn't see any flour. So for her, this investigation, sort of as moving and powerful as it obviously was, um, was of no great importance. But, but this next line is extraordinary. She says, 
No luck on baking powder or yeast, though. Mm. I think WTF lives. Who knows? There's something we need to talk about that we should never stop talking about until there's no more of it to talk about. And that's racism. So there's been loads of examples of anti-Asian racism all over the world in the months since the virus emerged in the Chinese city of Wuhan and then spread around the globe. A couple of weeks ago, the Human Rights Commission said it had received 34 complaints of race-related incidents with a COVID-19 twist. One Asian complainant said they'd been a victim of racism when a courier signed for their parcel as COVID-19. Sigh. No, actually... But the reason it's on my mind today is that last night on Twitter, Dr. Jin Russell, who's the 2020 Starship Foundation Fellow in Developmental Pediatrics, she reported an incident that had happened to her. And she wrote this. Wow, a white guy on a bike just yelled at me, go back to China. Why? I'm like the friendliest Asian you'd ever meet, and my family are basically as kind as Kung Fu Panda, and we're actually from Wellington and love New Zealand. Please give nothing to racism. After her tweet, someone else came forward reporting a similar incident in the same location a few days ago. So now Dr. Russell and the other person have gone to the police, and the police are looking through surveillance camera footage of where it happened. But it's not just random who are responsible for racism. Two weeks ago, Lululemon, that's the huge Canadian company that makes yoga pants and stuff, made a public apology after a company official posted an Instagram link promoting the sale of a T-shirt which had been made by an artist in California. According to Reuters, the shirt showed a pair of chopsticks with bat wings on the front and a Chinese takeout box with bat wings on the back. And the Instagram post was titled, Bat Fried Rice. Ho ho. It's obviously a reference to the origins of the virus at a Wuhan wet market and the fact that the coronavirus is believed to have come from a bat, but it's also a clear stirring up of anti-Asian sentiment. And the abuse shouted at Dr. Russell is a reminder of how so-called jokes bleed into acts of verbal abuse or even physical attacks. Look, clearly there are questions to be asked about how the virus started and how we, the world, can prevent this and other viruses from racing around the planet. But being a actually being a racist is not going to help. Inbox. First up, international romance. In the virus pod at stuff.co.nz inbox. Diana Leach writes from the US. She says she's in a long-distance relationship with her partner, who's in Christchurch, and as she puts it, COVID-19 has wreaked havoc not only on the world, but also on any prospect that my partner and I will see one another anytime soon. Right, so Diana plans to fly to New Zealand as soon as she's allowed, but she has a curly question about quarantine. She asks, if and when I'm able to fly to New Zealand, knowing that I'll have to go into mandatory quarantine, is there any way that my partner can quarantine with me, even though he is already in New Zealand and would not need to? As you can imagine, flying 8,817 miles to see my love, only having to spend two weeks by myself in quarantine and eating up valuable vacation time without actually seeing him, would not be ideal. No. She says that she's been trying to get an answer and can't. So does anyone know? If so, flick us a note to viruspod at stuff.co.nz. Let's see if we can get to the bottom of this, Cupid. Oh, sorry. I mean, Adam. Great idea. Another investigation. Though... Seriously, I think we might need to be a bit more systematic about this one than we were with the flower. Let's Google first, ask questions later. Right, next email, and we're keeping up the international flavour. Remember, we've asked for listeners who are overseas to send us a voice memo, 
a minute or two giving their name, where they are and how they're doing and send it to viruspod at stuff.co.nz. Well, today's memo is from Alison Perkins, who checks in from Mexico. Hi, Adam and Eugene. My name is Alison Perkins and I've been sheltering in place in Mexico. I was on a cave diving adventure here when coronavirus blew up the planet. I've been isolating solo here, so it's been a pretty lonely time. And I just wanted to check in and thank you guys for your unique blend of Kiwi humour and COVID information and your hard-hitting investigation like the WTF. Go hard on that one. I'm heading back to New Zealand in a couple of days. Despite living in NZ for the last 15 years, I'm actually a dirty Aussie. So I had to apply for a visa to return home and my application's just been approved. So in a couple of days, I will be starting my journey back to NZ. Uh, we still have access to flour here in Mexico, so uh, let me know if you want me to chuck a couple of kilos in my luggage for you. Uh, Adam, Eugene, I appreciate you guys, and I've just climbed inside a closet to let you know that. See you soon. Great to hear from you, Alison. Happy flying. Might I suggest that when you bring that flour for us, you divide it up into a dozen or so very small plastic bags and just stuff those down your shirt and into the cuffs of your jeans and so on and um, see how you go. Alison, please don't do that. Okay, Plague Playlist. Yes, a sequel of sorts to our David Bowie-inspired ground control to Captain Tom from, was it Tuesday? Yeah. Well, not so much a sequel as a follow-up. Remember Captain Tom Moore is the Second World War veteran who walked around his garden and fundraised $60 million for the NHS in the UK. It's probably more now. There's been a huge outpouring of affection for him, obviously, including a duet he did with theatre star Michael Ball and NHS workers who zoomed in. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, there's a golden sky. It's funny how these really quite sentimental, soppy moments can be really quite moving in the middle of all the chaos. When you walk through a storm. Yeah, and it's gone to number one in the UK. Bit of a lump in my throat listening to that, actually. Richard Meadows is a Kiwi journalist, formerly a staffer at Stuff, who for the last few years has been basically roaming the planet while writing a very interesting blog called Deep Dish. Now, Deep Dish is a fascinating blend of financial advice, behavioural science, lifestyle advice, life hacks, travel blog, and general philosophical musings. And I read it every time the reminder email pops up in my inbox, partly to see what Richard's up to and because there's some good advice in there quite often, but mostly because I just enjoy the way he writes. Anyway, in mid-March, as COVID-19 really got stuck in around the planet, Richard wrote a blog entitled, logically enough, Inevitable Coronavirus Post. And in, in there he wrote about his, his sense of horror at watching officials around the world underreact to the pandemic. It, it's, it's a really good read. But the reason we've got Richard on the line today, all the way from Mexico City, I believe, is to talk about what he wrote in his next couple of blogs and we'll, we'll get to those in a minute but Richard Meadows hola hola como estas 
Yeah, thanks for the for the intro, Adam. First, what's daily life like in Mexico City in the time of COVID-19? Are you locked down? Yes, uh, more or less, by uh, voluntary action rather than compulsion. It's it's probably the same uh, much as it is where you are, where I've, I'm intimately familiar with the, the four walls of my apartment and occasionally venturing out for um, extremely exciting grocery missions. But Mexico is in a, a weird sort of a spot where it's been quite fortuitous so far. And it's probably at the tipping point now where everything is going to get a little bit messy. So, yeah, it's weird. It's like the calm before the storm and the response has been very lackadaisical. And I have a suspicion that it's it's going to get a little bit more interesting in the next couple of weeks. Hey, hey Richard, in, in your first COVID blog post we talked about, you, you pointed out it was quite rational to go panic buying when other people were panic buying. What did you stock up on? The first thing I did was... I went to the pharmacy and I got a bunch of prescription medicines that I might need and just like basic flu supplies, like electrolytes and painkillers. And then other than that, I went to the market, like the big outdoor markets that they have here and just bought a ton of dried seeds and fruits and oatmeal and kind of boring stuff like that. It will keep forever. Um, And I still have it. I've got like a stockpile of about maybe a, a month's worth of stuff and we are seeing like some food shortages already, kind of like what you guys have had. So I think that it's it's like a good precaution to have that there in the event that it becomes difficult to find stuff. Right. So you're ready. But look, the main thing I want to ask you about is the second post you've done since COVID came, which was entitled How to Profit from Coronavirus. I, and I mean, that's, that's pretty direct, <laughs> um, but also arguably kind of outrageous. Let's start with the moral question. Is it okay to look at COVID-19 and think, hey, here's an investment opportunity? <laughs> I mean, the the opportunity exists no matter how you, you choose to look at it. So, I mean, I, I guess the, the title is kind of tongue-in-cheek because, yeah, I, I, it's like a privileged position to be in if you have a, a reliable stream of income in your position right now to be able to invest and look for opportunities. So it's definitely worth acknowledging that fact. And I I think I probably did a reasonable job of that in the article. But also, if you do have those means, then there's no reason not to behave in certain ways um, that might actually have the effect of helping you come out the other side of this thing, at least preserving your wealth. So the number one mistake that I saw people making, which was quite heartbreaking, is panicking and, for example, uh, switching their KiwiSaver funds with the worst possible timing and crystallizing those losses. So, you know, it's something that everyday people can do as well. If you have the proper understanding of risk management and the proper investing timeframe, I wanted to point out that you can actually mitigate a lot of those losses and make money while other people are, are panicking, basically. Right. So right now, who, if anyone, is profiting from coronavirus? Um, very few people, uh, at least there was this, there was this really weird phenomenon right after the, the main stock market crash, whereby there was just a massive sell-off of everything. So all the thing, all the assets that might typically be counter-cyclical, so they would be like inversely correlated with stocks also took a beating. So gold took a beating, like Bitcoin, um, took a beating, bonds took a beating, like government bonds. So it was, it was crazy. And now I feel kind of vindicated because I wrote that post, I think about five weeks ago, which turned out to be pretty close to the bottom. So if anyone had followed that advice at the time, they would be up and they they had held on to their shares at the very least, if not bought more. 
that would be up just shy of 20% by now. Right. Which is like, that, that's, a, that's an extraordinary return. It's like about maybe three years of, of pretty good returns crammed into the space of five weeks. And if you had panicked and switched your KiwiSaver at the bottom, then you missed out on all that. That's going to take a lot, of, uh, a lot to come back from. So what's your advice to people whose investments aren't looking great right now? I guess for a lot of Kiwis, that, that simply means their KiwiSavers that have gone down perhaps 10 or 15%. What do you do? The only thing that you can do right now is stick to the strategy that you had beforehand. Like I, I discussed this in the post that this is basically a terrible time to be making these kind of decisions because you know, you're just like absolutely soaked in, in fear and adrenaline and it's all very uncertain and scary. So the best thing you can do is literally nothing. Like try to think, uh, try to forget about it and just ride out the volatility. And if you had the correct investing time frame in the first place, i.e. your KiwiSaver is for, is like, you're going to use it many decades from now. Um, Not so many decades in my case, but. <laughs> yeah, well, true. So that, that's the best thing that you can do is just kind of put your faith in the general human tendency to bulldoze over anything that comes between us and creating wealth, which in my opinion will in- include the COVID-19. You're great at coming up with analogies and, and sort of the psychology of moments. What's the mentality that we should have right now? From an investing point of view or from a, a broader point of view? Hey, let's go with both. I think from an investing point of view, like being an ostrich and, and putting your head in the sand and taking uh, the decisions out of your control. So don't watch the markets. Don't check your KiwiSaver balance. Don't think about it. Like put your feet up and binge watch something on Netflix. It's literally the best possible strategy, um, which is kind of kind of weird, but you know it's a, it's a good thing to lean into. And then from the broader perspective, personally, I find it really helpful to to just focus on the things that are within your control to influence. So when there's a lot of scary stuff going on, uh, the vast majority of it is it's in the hands of God. So what are you going to do? Like you might as well try to exert some kind of control over your immediate environment, take care of the people in your life, take care of you and, you know, and whatever that means, whatever that might mean to you. Um, and <laughs> stop listening to podcasts about coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in a lot of your blog entries, you use yourself as a guinea pig, and that's included your own investment decisions. So have you personally taken a hit as COVID monsters the stock market? Um, it's, that's actually kind of complicated because I've done some some borderline stupid things with my own money, or at least hubristic things, which are not following my own advice. Right. And um, I should have been punished for that hubris and hypocrisy, but they actually worked out quite well. Not because I'm a brilliant genius, but because I essentially got lucky. Right. So I've taken somewhat less of a hit than most people have. I also have a strange portfolio whereby not all of my wealth is in stock market index funds. So it's diversified. I've enjoyed the benefits of diversification. You often write about the need to plan, to look ahead and be prepared. Having gone through this, what should people do to protect themselves in the future. This whole crisis is kind of tied in very closely to one of my personal hobby horses, which is looking at being prepared for high impact events that are really unlikely to happen. But if they do happen, are going to uh, really mess your whole life up. So we could call these like black swans or tail risk events. Tail risk event. Can you just quickly explain that? 
basically most things in life are, are normally distributed. Like it, they have a bell curve distribution. So you have the height of men is like pretty, pretty standard, right? You're not going to, you're not going to suddenly meet like a nine foot tall human being, but things that are tail risk events are not normally distributed. So you might meet the equivalent of like a, a 13 foot man. Um, so that includes things like price movements in the financial markets and pandemics and natural disasters. Like they're highly unlikely to happen, but in the event that they do happen, uh, they cause enormous amounts of damage. Right. And the biggest mistake that anyone could make is think, oh, you know, we had the COVID-19 uh, crisis. So now we're off the hook for the next little while. But in fact, the opposite is probably more likely to be true. Life is very weird and life is uh, only ever getting weirder. So my advice would be to take seriously the kind of people who have been warning consistently about uh, tower risk events of this nature and try and be imaginative and kind of a try and think about the worst things that could happen and take steps to prepare for them to the extent that there are cheap, easy steps that you can take. The classic example of that would be like having an emergency kit is just such a no-brainer. And I know that I won't need to tell that to like Cantabrians, for example, but it's incredible how few people actually are prepared for a, a natural disaster when it's like you spend a few hundred bucks and it potentially save your butt, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's just, it's mm -hmm. just a no brainer. So I would look out for risks of that nature and then just take like, if there's an option you can take out, which will help you in the event that that happens, then take that option out. In your most recent blog, you wrote about the, the lost art of calisthenics, bodyweight exercises, and that you feel an empathy for gym bros and lady bros who are missing out on their, their gym fix. Um, and I, I like this point you you made that prison is is one place where calisthenics has never gone out of fashion. And seeing we're all in our various prisons around the world, you intend coming out of quarantine as jacked and strong as a jailbird. So how's that going for you? Um, yeah, it's going it's going really well so far. I think for me, like I mentioned before, like it's useful to maintain some sense of control over the things that you can control. Uh, one of them for me is actually. I guess like having some kind of some sense of mastery over my body or my fitness. And also it has all that weird physiological magic stuff. We obviously you feel a lot better if you exercise and you can alleviate stress. So I'm really enjoying it actually. It's, it's, it's really fun. I'm not trying to say that everyone should be exercising furiously in quarantine. I'm just saying that it's, it's important for me and for people like me. And you can do it even if you don't have access to the gym. Richard, looking back at what you've written over the years, it must feel a little bit like you were preparing for exactly this moment in so many different ways. It does feel a bit like that. It's a confluence of a lot of things that I've been reading about and thinking about and putting into practice for my own life. I actually had a conversation with a friend recently where I was, I was saying that I hadn't benefited at all from basically knowing that this kind of thing would happen. And then I realized that that is not true because the mere fact that I'm like chirpy and I'm not in a bad position financially and like I'm not in a ICU is actually reward enough, right? Like I was able to mitigate against the worst case strategies happening. I have no reliable income right now and it doesn't change my decision-making or my life outcomes at all. So like that's actually a super privileged position to be in. And yeah, I think it has largely come about through just thinking carefully about uh, risk management in terms of preparing for downside risks and being diversified both in terms financially and in terms of your career capital and, and sources of income. And um, 
understanding and having a healthy respect for exponential growth. So yeah, I, I guess it has it has paid off. Cool. Well, I hope it continues to stand you in good stead as you hunk down in Mexico City. Richard Meadows, thank you very much. That was fascinating. My pleasure. Thanks very much, guys. That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Thursday the 30th of April. I'm Adam Dudding. Here's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Kirsty Lawrence, Richard Meadows, Alex Liu, Catherine George, Patrick Crutzen and Carol Hirschfeld. You can find us on all the podcast platform. Platforms? Platforms. All platforms. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email viruspod at stuff.co.nz. And if you want to directly support Stuff Journalism, we've recently set up a system where you can make financial contributions via a link on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz. Easy peasy. Adeo. Adeo.